Hey, Connect family and all our online viewers, I want to welcome you to the continuation of our series, Under the Influence. We rallied to try to put something together for you on this snowy day. I hope you're enjoying some family time. Today I'm going to be talking about a subject that we shared recently at a Sunday night live service and uh, kind of due to popular demand and requests, um, because it wasn't recorded audio or video, we decided to put this message out today and then I will preach the message that I was going to preach today, next week. So we'll continue under the influence next week. But today I want to talk to you about wounded warriors, specifically the subject of emotional healing. Frankly, I need a little emotional healing myself today because we're not having church because I miss you all already. I hope you guys are doing great and I look forward to seeing you next week. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be strong, but it's going to help us grow in a big way. Amen. Um, I'm going to just be reading from two portions of Scripture this morning. One is Luke chapter 4. The other is Matthew chapter 18. And I'll throw in a bunch of other Scriptures as well. But for your own study, you want to just kind of hold on to those two key Scriptures. I'm going to be reading a Messianic prophecy that is being fulfilled from Luke chapter 4. And you're going to see Jesus showing up on the scene here in this text. In Luke 4 verse 16 and following it says, So he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Today's different, though, when he began to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And actually, they were looking to him, and he was actually in this moment becoming the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy. Powerful. But he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Remember that word, brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Remember that word, oppressed. It's kind of interchangeable with the word bruised or bruises. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, in this scripture, there are actually five foundational ministries of Jesus. One of those I'm going to highlight in particular this morning. But in this text, and you look at those different words, you're going to see that basically his ministry is about five things. You want to write these down? You can. One is salvation. He was basically going to preach the gospel. He was anointed to do so. Uh, you can see that um, basically that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's really referencing needing to be anointed or spirit baptized. This is what we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, also another ministry of Jesus was healing. Um, the recovery of sight to the blind is referencing that. And then another ministry is deliverance. To proclaim liberty uh, to the captives. He wants to set captives free. And then lastly, there's two phrases in the scripture here. One is to heal the brokenhearted and set at liberty those who are oppressed or bruised. This is referring to emotional healing. And so Jesus really wants to see people healed emotionally. And there's two key points that we're going to talk about this morning with some sub points underneath those. One is that Jesus heals broken hearts. Jesus heals broken hearts. Now, the Greek word for broken heart, I won't tell you the word, it's a tough word, and frankly, I'd probably butcher it, but it basically means that our hearts can be shattered into pieces. Uh, it talks about uh, unrecoverable. I mean, it's just like it's just like glass that is just broken from a window. Very difficult. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Well, you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. That's kind of what it's like when there's a broken heart without Jesus. But first off, I have to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. And I think if you're, you're honest, your answer will be very, very similar. 
But has your heart ever been broken before? I know mine has. Uh, in different times in my life, there's been, there's been situations and circumstances where my heart has been broken. I want you to know the only one who can heal a broken heart is Jesus. And that's one of his ministries. And you don't have to have a broken heart. But if you do, or you haven't been healed from your broken heart, it is affecting you today, your freedom in Christ. Recently, a young man in our church uh, was emceeing a service, and he talked about kind of how his heart had been hurt uh, as a result of a loss, loss of a loved one. And sometimes that's what can cause it. There's different reasons that we can have a broken heart. One of the primary, let's say, spiritual influences, negative spiritual influences of a broken heart is rejection. And so I want to talk to you about kind of two strongholds as a result of these two areas of emotional healing. When you have a broken heart, one of those strongholds is that is rejection. And there are many different spirits that can surface as a result of this strongman or stronghold of rejection that we're going to talk about today. The first stronghold, though, of a broken heart is rejection. And this can happen as a result of relationships that have been broken. Uh, division, breakups. It can happen as a result of loss, someone that you, you just gave your heart to and they left this world. It can be a result of conflict or correction. We're all susceptible to this spirit of rejection because uh, we're actually born rejected. This is kind of a theological truth that may not resonate with you right away, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense if you're a Christ follower, but we're all born with a sinful nature. And God cannot have relationship with us when there is sin, let's just say, in our lives, unless the blood of Jesus covers our sins and we by faith have received the atonement for our sins through his life, then there's a separation between us and God. And that's as a result, there's rejection. And therefore, prior to Christ's active, I submit to you, intervention in our life, we're actually very easily rejected. And much of what happens in our life fosters this wound of rejection. And it shows up and manifests in many different behaviors as a result of, I would submit to you in many cases, many different familial spirits, demonic spirits or influences. But first let me give you an Old Testament reference to what happens with rejection. In Numbers 14, 34, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, this is referring to Israel, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year. They weren't doing it God's way. Namely, 40 years. And you shall know my rejection. God's saying, you'll know my rejection. He's talking to the children of Israel here, and he's saying, you're going to know what it feels like to be rejected because you've rejected me. And then later on, he uses another scripture in Hosea chapter 8, verse 3, and he says this. This is kind of the, this is what happens as a result. God says, hey, I'm here for you. You reject me. I'll reject you. Now look what happens. Hosea 8, 3 says, Israel has rejected the good, therefore the enemy will pursue him. So that's what happens. We're talking about how the enemy can get into our life. What are some of these open doors? When rejection gets in there, it's an open door to the enemy. We can be rejected by others. We can reject God. And those can all be open doors to the enemy in our life. Now, God will use that and leverage that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But now I want to show you kind of seven let's say, additional strongholds that come from this root of rejection, this stronghold of rejection. And these are emotional strongholds. I hope you get a lot out of this. As a result of rejection, 
there are sometimes these seven different strongholds that can surface in our life. Some people refer to these as personality disorders, and I understand that, but I believe they're emotional strongholds that can keep people in bondage in their life, and they'll always go back to this root of rejection. This will help you, and this will help you help other people. The first one is anger. Anger. The, the root of this is the spirit of rejection. Whenever you see anger manifest underneath or uh, anger is simply masking or covering over rejection. Rejection. In other words, people in with this particular problem, they have a rage in them. Uh, they are explosive with anger. I used to wrestle with this particular problem until Christ set me free. Until not only was I saved, but I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then experienced freedom ministries for myself. But I used to have um, really some ungodly. Uh, supernatural it seemed like strength I was very when I was angry it I was like very difficult to control I would have outbursts of anger and rage I don't know if you remember that old movie from back in the 70s uh, with uh, David Bannister the Hulk you probably remember it more in modern terms now I think the Hulk came out two or three times in modern years but there's a phrase in the original where you know Hulk says you know um, you don't want to do that because you won't like me when I'm angry and, and that's exactly how I used to be. There was a time in my life where there was such anger and a spirit of rage would come over me and it caused me to do some very out of character things. While I loved Jesus and while I loved family and I was a good person in many other areas, in certain situations and pushed to certain corners, I would behave in very out of character, very ungodly ways. In fact, one time I can remember dating a particular girl and there were certain things, certain provocations, certain things that uh, she did to provoke anger in me, but none of them were proportionate to my response. In other words, my response was disproportionate to her offense. In fact, one time we got in an argument and I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't lay a hand on her, but you know, if things kept going the way um, the enemy wanted them to go, that's exactly what probably would have happened. But I can remember just leaving the room and hitting some different things and I went upstairs and I was just steaming and, and, and stewing and, and I just got so angry being in my parents' bedroom. I remember going to use their master bathroom and I punched a hole right through their bedroom wall, right into the bathroom, straight through everything. And it didn't even kind of, it didn't even phase me. No pain, no, no, uh, no problem with that whatsoever. And then within about 15 minutes, that spirit would lift and I can remember the shame and the embarrassment. And I remember my mom coming home from a walk and she went upstairs and of course she saw what had happened and she came down and she sent my dad to talk to me and I remember going up and seeing her with tears in her eyes because she was concerned that a generational curse was being passed down once again. And so you see that that can happen in your life as it happened in my life. You see this in the life of Saul. Uh, here he was a king and he was rejected by God because of disobedience. And he had anger issues as a result of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26, it says, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have re rejected the word of the Lord because of his disobedience to God. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Well, right after that, look at what happens. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9, it says this, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. It was a spirit, a distressing spirit from God came to Saul. And he sat in his house with spear in hand, and David was playing music with his hand. And then Saul sought to pin David to the wall. Look at that outrageous anger. I bet he threw that spear pretty hard straight. 
Um, he sought to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. When Saul was rejected, you must understand that he first rejected God. He opened the door. He opened the door for the enemy, an evil spirit, to come upon him. And when that spirit came upon him, he would have uncontrollable anger, uncontrollable rage, so much so that he would do something very out of character. And many times, as it related to David, he would repent and be sorry for it, but he tried to murder him. You have heard and, and maybe even know people who have done horrible things. You look at and hear about it after the fact, and you might have known them as wonderful people. A lot of times you'd be on the news and you hear about some horrible, uh, egregious um, act that has taken place, murderous act that's taken place. And when they, when they interview the neighbors, they'll say, you know, he was a really nice man or she was a really nice woman. But, but, but many times that's because rejection was the root and anger was the fruit. Rejection was the door to the enemy and it manifested in rage and anger. Are you following this out there? And so uh, I can think of people one time with this spirit in their life. I can remember one time being just outside where I'm recording right now in my car and a particular person who was rejected by someone or something that had happened in the church called me up very upset, very, very angry. And that spirit just began to uh, torment him to the point where uh, he was not receiving my correction and direction. And he even threatened my life, threatened to kill me. That's what that spirit does. It's, it takes you way beyond the bounds of civility in your life. The second, second kind of root of rejection, anger, and the next one is insecurity. These are people who need constant attention. They might be preoccupied uh, with where they sit and who's watching and observing them. And they try to pick out maybe a chair in a room where everybody will see them and get noticed. Uh, maybe uh, a lot of selfies. <laughs> this is kind of a modern way that this manifests. Pretty girls coming in late, sitting in the front row, and they need to be recognized. A lot of times insecurity uh, is a byproduct of this root of rejection. Sometimes I could be leaving a meeting and I might compliment two or three people, but a person with a spirit of insecurity observes that you didn't say something to me. Even sometimes that spirit will speak out of them. And how come you didn't say that about me? How come you didn't say something nice to me? It can literally take people way beyond the bounds of social graces and what would be considered normal. Another side, um, let's say side effect or symptom, or let's just say spiritual manifestation of this root of rejection is pride. People perceive themselves as a result of this root as having it all together. Um, you know, uh, people are proud. Uh, and when they're proud, they talk a lot. They've got to kind of, they talk a lot about themselves a lot as well. And they need to give their opinion and they have an answer to everything. In every small group, they're kind of the center of the wheel, the last word, the first word. And, and uh, sometimes when I'm talking about this, you know, in a church service, I can look around the room and I can see wives kind of, you know, rolling their eyes, looking at somebody in those kind of situations. Um, another spirit of rejection is independence independence. Um, this spirit tells you you're better on your own. You're better by yourself. You don't need anybody. Don't trust anyone. These are people who become very self-reliant. There's a side that's strong, but there's a side that's aberrant or weak. And they struggle many times with this independent spirit to have 
meaningful relationships, to be vulnerable because they have trust issues with other people. They often won't, won't ask or listen to counsel. And sometimes they can go a long time being okay and make some really big mistakes in the end because they're independent. They do what they do, whatever they think, and, and no matter what, they kind of follow their own advice. Rejection has taught them this. Rejection has spoken this to them, and it manifests in independence. Another spirit of this is, is offense. Offense. Um, like think, uh, when you think of offense, think of fences. These are walls or barriers that separate people. Uh, these people put up walls, and so when, you when you're in interpersonal relationships, they take things very personally, very sensitive. People who are offended, an offended spirit. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs a lot. You know, a person who's offended is harder. You know, to it's like it's like climbing the wall, a, a, a high wall. It's it's harder to take. You know, than a fortified citadel, it says. And so you can't even joke with these people. Um, the, the line between you and them is very thin. And uh, the reality is offenses will come, the Bible says. And so we have to be quick to overlook and be forbearing and forgiving and, and kind of have a grace towards each other. But, but what happens a lot of times is it's like a bruise. I don't know if you've ever been bruised on your arm or a portion of your body or a leg or something like that where you took a knee. And initially you see that on the surface of your skin um, the, the manifestation of that bruise where the discoloration is there and the blood vessels have been you know, wounded. And over a little bit of time that discoloration goes away. But actually, it takes a lot longer for a bruise to heal beneath the surface. So while on the top of the surface it looks okay, underneath there's still a problem there. And what can happen is if you hit that same area again, that bruise can be far more damaging and far more painful um, because it wasn't healed completely. That's what it's like uh, with offenses. If those things are not healed, there can be an extreme sensitivity and overreaction to certain people's actions because beneath the surface, though it looks okay on the surface of the person, beneath the surface, there are wounds there. Those capillaries are still wounded. And though the coloring is gone, if you bump or aggravate it before it's completely healed, it can start bleeding all over again. Jesus and only Jesus can heal these. Another sign or symptom or spirit of rejection is excessive shyness or loneliness. Alone and lonely are two different words. Lonely is what is not good. God doesn't want us to have a lonely spirit. Alone, Adam was alone in the garden and that was okay. God uh, provided for him a helpmate to take him to the next level in relationships and in dominion of the earth, but he was alone all one two words put together and so shyness or loneliness can be a problem and I'm not talking about a personality characteristic where some people uh, see it that way I believe there are spiritual issues at work here and this is generally a fear of people they're just afraid of people these people are excessively introverted and have uncharacteristic social issues born out of some form of rejection. It could be rejection in the womb. It could be generational rejection. It could be rejection from a person. They're simply not whole. And often people with the spirit, uh, instead of getting healed and this being confronted appropriately, are coddled and not challenged to grow in an environment of love. Another spirit, and the last one, is control and manipulation. Control and manipulation. Now this actually has some other faces to it that are Difficult not to go into a little bit, but every person I've ever met 
that has a problem in this area, a stronghold or bondage in this area, has the spirit of rejection. So if, there's, if you're a controlling person, a manipulative person, every person I've ever met always has an issue with rejection. You're susceptible uh, when you are rejected to the spirit because this spirit convinces you or the person with this problem that you have to control people around you in order to control their responses so they don't ultimately reject you. So controlling people, manipulating people, are simply rejected people who are trying to control the environments in which they're in so that they don't get rejected. Now sometimes it's not always uh, it's more subtle and um, and sometimes hard to detect. One time, actually in the room that I'm in right now, it was a different, used for different purposes. I was doing some marriage counseling. And there was a couple that was struggling to share certain things. And so we taught them an exercise uh, in counseling we called sharing with holds. In other words, sometimes we have things that we need to share that are good. Sometimes we have things that we need to share that are constructive or that require discussion. And so in this particular exercise, I was encouraging the, the wife to share some things with the husband that are good and then some things that are constructive. When we got to the constructive part, um, though I had coached her on how to do it from the right words to the right tone to the right nonverbal, she changed her format completely. Instead of holding you know, fast and looking him in the eye and being very assertive in her communication. She left her chair, got over in his lap, started coddling his face, rubbing his hair, and making a lot of uh, overly affectionate tones and words to basically, basically what she was doing was, and she was saying this, she was saying, now don't be mad at me. I'm going to have to say something to you. Please don't be mad at me. She was trying to control his response so he didn't reject her. She made it look like she was concerned about him, but she was really concerned about her. So sometimes it manifests in things like that. Sometimes it manifests in a spirit of interruption where people just they, they want to say something before you say something so you don't reject them. Sometimes, you know, these things are just excessive and, 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 and interruptive as well. In a counseling situation one time, um, I can remember this one situation where there was a guy and, and he had some wound from the past in his life and, and, uh, and, and he, would, he just kept interrupting, interrupting, interrupting. And, and this was especially true when I was trying to correct him. And trying to point out something to him. And, and if you're correcting people with the Spirit, a lot of times they'll turn it on you and try to correct you. And turn the spotlight off themselves. And so in a counseling situation with this guy, I said, okay, listen, buddy, we can go ahead and talk about all the different things that I've done wrong, all the things that, I've, you know, that I'm like in this situation. It, we can take two hours, three hours, whatever it takes. But at the end of this, buddy, we're going to talk about you. We're going to get to you because you're the one who's here for emotional healing. You're the one with the wound and who needs counseling. And basically in my mind, I'm thinking, dude, you need to shut up and just listen. But that spirit kept interrupting. That spirit kept trying to control and manipulate the situation. You see this with other people. Um, it can be more, or more overt. They're intimidators. They have an intimidating spirit about them. A lot of times people with an intimidating spirit... There's a root of rejection, a root of rejection. I have people that I've worked with, people that I was very close to, and, and everybody in their relationships, um, they were struggling in relationships with this particular person. And, and he would say, you know, I don't know why these people don't come to me. I don't know why these people don't tell me straight up. I don't, because you're an intimidator. Because your rejection, manifested intimidation, is keeping people out of bay. And you can make excuses all you want for why they're not coming to you, but you need to deal with the rejection, and it's manifesting in intimidation. And so they don't want to talk to you. 
because it might hurt them. And really, you're the one who's hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Rejected people reject people. And often, people offend, offended people, excuse me, offend people. Last little thing, though. Another face of this is pity. I was just thinking about this. Pity. It's another way to control. And pity, um, you know, they're basically saying, feel bad for me. You know, uh, you might say to someone like this, how are you doing? And they would say something like, well, you know, I've been sick and, and my parents aren't doing so well and my dog died and I lost my job and business really, really stinks and it snows every day. And they're trying to control the situation. They're basically saying, listen, I've had a ba enough bad news already. Don't give me any more. It's another way that we can control. Some people do it with crying, excessive crying. And it's, you want, they're, they're trying to basically control the circumstances so that you don't hurt them. And they have hurt built up for many, many, many years that has not been healed. And it's manifesting. And they're saying, please, 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 by their crying, you're hurting me. Stop, stop, stop. And the truth is they're already hurt. And they need to be healed. And they can stop. Just like kids can stop on a dime. If somebody's crying, when my little kid was, was crying, any one of the four, I could say, hey, you want some candy? Boom, they'd snap right up. You know, and, and, and when they would be excessively crying like that, trying to manipulate and get pity, we actually used to discipline them even strong. You keep it up like that, we'd say, you're going to get a spanking. And they would straighten right up. You know, and now when I'm a grandparent, I won't do that. I'll just say you want some candy. But anyway, um, the things change. So the next thing I want to share with you is bruises. I want to talk about bruises and uh, get ready for some more stuff here. Okay, so the first thing we've covered so far is broken hearts. But the next thing that Jesus heals, he, he heals bruises. Again, earlier in the text in Luke chapter 4, he talks about, you know, how he, he, he sets at liberty those who are oppressed or it could say bruised. And so this is referring to um, an issue that we, many of us, maybe all of us have faced at one time or another in our life, but a bruise can, be, can bring a bondage into our life and a bruise manifests primarily, just like broken heart manifests with rejection, a bruise manifests in unforgiveness. So broken heart, rejection, bruise, unforgiveness. Now this can be a potential stronghold in our life and open us up to the enemy's attack and give him a foothold, as we've talked about already, that can eventually become a stronghold. Now you might want to look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 18. And there's a very, very significant portion of scripture there in verse 32 to verse 35. But basically this is what's going on prior to this. Peter spoke to Jesus in the earlier portions of this text. And he basically says, how many times, Jesus, should I forgive my brother? And of course, Jesus gives him the response, you know, um, 70 times 7. That wasn't to say that at 490 we're done because many of us wouldn't have kids anymore if that was the case. But he told the story after that about a man who owed someone a great deal of money. He had a, this particular person had a great debt. That debt today translates, and I shared this recently, to as much as $52 million in modern terms. Now, he went to that man, and he, uh, he went to his master, excuse me, this man, and he basically begged for uh, forgiveness and begged for, you know, that he, would, that he would be forgiven this debt. And the master had pity on him and forgave that debt. By the way, in this scripture, this represents salvation. We all owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt. We, that he did not owe. 
I needed someone to wash my sins away. Jesus did that for us. This is really referencing salvation, a great debt. Many times we're contrasting our sin to someone else instead of our sin to God or our master. And so our debt was great and Jesus paid it all. And so that man who had a great debt paid, um, that same person went out and found a, another man who owed him a very small debt. In fact, the debt translated into about $44. $52,044,000. That's a big, big contrast. And he threw him into prison because he couldn't pay. And then he says, what do you think, this is the story, Jesus says, what do you think the master will do about this? And we pick up the story in Matthew 18, verse 32, and it says, Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. Now, this is the phrase I want you to watch very carefully. And it says this, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Or in one translation, it says tormentors. What are these? Who are the torturers? Who are the tormentors? Think about that in light of our entire series and what we've been talking about. Until he should pay all the due, the debt, excuse me, that was due him. And then Jesus winds up with, this, with this, this particular story with a very, very important point that none of us want to read or see. So he says this, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, to me, if each of you from our heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He's talking to believers here. What will he do to believers? What, what is he saying? He'll turn us over to torturers, tormentors. That's what he did to Saul uh, when he allowed an evil spirit to torment. He sent a distressing spirit, as we read earlier, and he will do it to you and me as well. Jesus saying this, not me. Don't be mad at me. But basically he's saying that if you will not forgive, if you won't do for others what I've done for you, this will happen. There's other references to this in Ephesians 4, uh, 32, and Colossians 3, 13. It talks about we forgive because we've been forgiven. But what could be easily said parenthetically is so much in comparison. And when we see the, the 52 million debt that Jesus forgave for us, how can we not forgive $44 here and $50 there and $20 there when we see it in proper perspective? But when we don't see it that way and we put people in prison in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives, Jesus turns us over to the tormentors. He turns us over to the torturers. Why? Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, uh, there was a man, by the way, in sin, and Paul, this is what Paul said, Paul said, turn him over to Satan. Wow. For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit might be saved or delivered. So in other words, do whatever it takes so that he comes out on the, in the end. Okay. This, is a, this guy didn't repent. And why would God do this? I think we have to remember, again, the Old Testament and look back and apply it to our lives as we go forward. And we talked about this recently a lot. He did this or he allows this so that people will repent and so that people will not continue to go into bondage. Because if you stay in bondage, you'll die. And maybe not literally, physically, but spiritually, you could die. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But he wants us to say, basically, as a result of these things happening to us, I don't want to live like this, God. I don't want to live. Tell me what I need to do. I, I submit to you. Uh, show me what my next step is. That's why James 4, 7 says, submit to God. 
then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You can't resist the devil until you first submit to God. And so we can't be fully delivered until we repent. We can't be fully delivered until um, we forgive. And if you don't forgive, we can live in torment or tortured or in bondage. Why should we forgive? Well, 2 Corinthians 2 Second Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 11 says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now this is why we forgive. This is interesting. He says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul's saying, if you don't forgive, Satan can take advantage of you. But we're not ignorant of his schemes, methods, devices, wiles. It says in one translation. So how does Satan take advantage of us? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, No wonder, for Satan himself, this is how he takes advantage. This is how he sneaks into our life. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now this is going to get interesting, and hopefully I can do a good job explaining this. But that word transforms in the Greek is the word masquerades. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It's like going to a party. Maybe you've gone to a party like this, and everybody gets to wear one of those masks. In other words, you don't know who the real, what, what's really behind that person. You think they're this, but maybe there's someone else. There's something else. And so think about this idea of a mask when you think about the Holy Spirit contrasted with Satan. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, is a comforter. But Satan, according to Scripture, is a tormentor. But what Satan does is he holds up a mask to appear like he's a comforter and, not, and, and God is actually the tormentor. He says things like this. I remember not too long ago I was having a discussion with my wife. And so uh, let's just say that in that particular discussion um, and argument, Stacy leaves. And she's just fed up with me. And uh, this never happens because she's so perfect and I'm not. Um, but she leaves the room and she's just fed up and she says a bunch of things that are unkind. And then what happens is Satan in his mask, he'll come over to me and he puts his arm around me. And just think of this in terms of what's kind of happening in a spiritual realm. And pretends to care for me and comfort me. And he says things like, you know what? She shouldn't have said that to you, Derek. She wasn't very honoring I mean, frankly, that's really what you need right now. And if she was speaking in honoring terms, that wouldn't have happened. In fact, she did the same thing last week. Cuddle, cuddle, comfort, comfort. Satan will say things like, you can forgive her, but you can never forget this. This has just gone on too long. Satan says things like, you know what, Derek? You just saw her true character. Do you see how Satan can put a mask on? and interfere and and hide really what he is up to he's a liar he's a deceiver and if you agree with him this is this is the danger while he's doing that and speaking those words and putting his arm around you and and if you say anything responsive like that's right thank you know thank you for comforting me you know then he, then what happens is he comes in he comes in. He opened, you've opened the door, and bitterness will come with it. And unforgiveness comes, and the bruise resurfaces. And you know what happens? It resurfaces stronger than ever. ever. And this is why many people fall into the path or pattern of divorce. We'll talk about paths next week. And 
other spirits follow behind it, whole families, and they stop, they stop comforting at some point, and instead they start tormenting you and torturing you. And Satan will put on a mask and pretend to comfort you when really his plan is to torment you. And he, and he, and he does this to you when you are rejected. And he does this to men too. You get rejected, rejected in your relationship with your spouse and he lies to you and he, and he offers you some kind of comfort and that doesn't seem to satisfy. So then he offers you alternatives, egregious alternatives. That's why pornography is so rampant and so problematic for men because it's a mask of comfort. And this, is, this brings about a lot of problems in our life. And so then we go to receive prayer and, and we come to church to get delivered. And, and, and they're saying this and they're saying that and they're binding this and, and binding that. And, but there's this wound. There's this wound deep inside us. And someone is praying for me and praying for that. And, but these spirits are inside and they're saying, you know what? I have a legal right to be here because I have not forgiven because I have not forgiven. And so the biggest change sometimes in our lives comes when we forgive and it brings emotional healing. Some of the biggest changes in people's lives have been because they've received emotional healing, not physical healing. You know, we say often, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know words hurt way more than physical pain. And that's why if we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about those different wounds in our life, and those different ways that they manifest in a broken heart, if we can allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about the bruises in our life where those relationships have been breached and unforgiveness has got into our life, then He can heal us from the inside out. And that emotional healing can bring literally life-altering changes in our life. Some of you need to submit to the Holy Spirit a memory or a thought that maybe even you're having right now as I'm talking about this subject. The Holy Spirit kind of surfaces that. That's what happens sometimes when we, we listen to the Word or we hear the Word. Uh, scripture says this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. See if there be anything. Is there anything in there that's offensive, that shouldn't be there, that I've allowed to be there? And if you'll, if you'll, if you'll ask Him, He'll speak those things to you. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about those things. Maybe there are some, maybe there's some unresolved uh, unforgiveness in your life. Maybe you made a pact with yourself, even indirectly or directly the enemy, about what you wouldn't do. Maybe you said things like, I'll never cry again, about something like that. Maybe you said, I'll never forgive that person again. Maybe you say things like, well, I forgive them, but you really didn't forgive the person from your heart. You just forgave them from your head. Um, I know there's a term, it's called theophostic counseling. And it's based on scripture. But basically the premise is in order to be healed, fully healed, sometimes we have to go back to that place of injury. The place where that person or that, that, that scene, that happening, something went wrong, something went bad. And it's in that moment you need to recall that and submit that to God and say, God, that was wrong. I'm not going to, forgiveness does not minimize the offense. God, that, that, that hurt, it's not saying that it didn't hurt. It's not saying you're going to trust the person to walk right back into the relationship. But it's saying, God, see this? I release it to you. I forgive them. I forgive them because you've forgiven me so much. I forgive them because I need forgiveness in the future. I forgive them so I can be, I can be free. And I'm going I'm to pray for you, and I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about maybe something in your life that has affected you that's hurting you and it's causing emotional pain. And so if you would allow me, maybe you just bow your head and you would let me pray for you and speak, you know, to whatever that spirit is that's going on in your life. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person that's listening. For whatever reason, this way at this time. And I just pray, God, that you would use this for your glory and for your purposes. Maybe there's a verbal abuse. Maybe there's a physical abuse. Lord, even spiritual abuse where people have been taken advantage of. Maybe it's a sexual abuse of some sort. Maybe with someone or something that happened to them in the past. God, would you surface that? And would you help them where they're at? Would you, Holy Spirit, come alongside them, comfort them, counsel them, guide them, show them how to submit this thing to God so that they might be healed. Maybe it was a close friend. It was a spouse. It was some pain, some kind of... uh, problem that took place in the past, Lord God, but I know that you are God that has written our future, and Lord, that our best days are still ahead, and that you can turn our negative situations into positive ones, our mess into a message. You work all things together for good to them that are called according to your purpose if they love you, God, and I believe many people out there love you, but they, they need to learn how to love others by first receiving your love for them. And so I pray in Jesus' name that those that are listening today would call upon the name of the Lord and not only be saved, but be set free. Set free from a broken heart. Set free from bruises. Lord, I come against the spirit of rejection and I come against uh, also unforgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you guide people through your word, that they use this for uh, for for salvation and for uh, their spirit to be set free so they can be truly at liberty, that the messianic prophecy of Luke chapter 4 be fulfilled in their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. I look forward to seeing you next week for the continuation of Under the Influence. You don't want to miss it. Bring somebody. I'll see you real soon. Pastor D, 